Let's open the Scriptures to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2, a few verses, and then chapter 50, or 49. So Isaiah 2, page 722 of the Pew Bible, 722. And each of these passages tells us something about the church and the church-gathering work of our God. Old Testament images, Old Testament prophecies, but definitely speaking about the gathering in of God's people. Chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 1, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now to chapter 49 of this same book, beginning at verse 8. So the Lord speaks of a future time where He will gather His people together again uh, after they've been punished. So this is a time of God's blessing. Verse 8, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. 
The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, The place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And finally to chapter 52, the first 12 verses. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For they, there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I invite you to turn with me in the book of praise to page 511, where we have the church's confession, our confession about our duty to join 
the church. So this is the second article on the church in the Belgic Confession. And there we confess, we believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed, and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and every one are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to the Word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They should do so even though the rulers and edicts of princes were against it, and death or physical punishment might follow. All, therefore, who draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, last week in article, or last time in article 27, we confessed what God says that His church is. I put it that way to remind ourselves that we are making here a confession of faith, not based on what we see with our eyes, not based on how we reason things out with our logic, but based on what God reveals to us in the Bible. And as we saw last time, God has revealed this, the Son of God is gathering together one church, one flock from every nation and tribe and tongue. The church is the assembly of God's people. It is a holy assembly because it belongs to God. That's what holy means. It's set apart for Him. It's also a Catholic assembly because it is gathered from out of the entire human race. The sheep gather around the Good Shepherd by listening to His voice and by following after Him. That makes this assembly apostolic. As the Apostles' Creed says, we believe one holy apostolic church. The church of Christ listens to the voice of Christ that comes through the apostles, which we now have recorded for us in Holy Scripture. So that is what the church of Christ is. And now in Article 28, we confess what God teaches us to be the obligation of every believer towards the church. And again, this is a confession of faith, faith in what God reveals in His Word. It's not a list of man-made duties, something that we humans have come up with along the way. No, it's, it's the Lord Jesus who does the work. He's gathering in His church. He's the Good Shepherd. And at the same time, He gives a responsibility to His sheep 
That's the way it is all throughout Scripture. That's the way it is in God's covenant relationship. It's the Lord God who takes the initiative. It's the Lord God who provides salvation through faith. He even gives us the gift of faith. But then God also expects His people to obey and God moves His people to obey so that they act. So when the good shepherd calls out, the sheep must respond and follow him into his sheep pen that there may be one flock. And so I proclaim to you this word of God. Christ calls Christians to join his church. Christ calls Christians to join his church. We'll take a look at three things. The indispensable reality of the church, the incredible responsibility we have as members of the church, and the intense requirement of being part of the church. Well, when you read Article 28, the main point is fairly straightforward. Every believer has the duty to come into and become a member of Christ's church. That's the basic idea. And when you recall what we saw last time in John 10, how the Lord Jesus, speaking about His flock, speaking about gathering in His sheep into one pen so that there would be one flock and one shepherd, then it's clearly God's will for the sheep to be gathered. It's God's will that all the elect enter the assembly of the church. God is not saving random individuals from here, there, and everywhere. God is saving a collective, a people, a nation, a holy covenant community. And every individual whose, whose name has been written in the book of life, that person must come into the community, the church. So that's clear from John 10. But still some may ask, well, why exactly does the Lord want this? Why must a believer join the assembly? Why can't he or she just remain on his own or wherever they are and have a, a personal, private relationship with Christ? That seems to be the dominant thought of our age, our time. Christians for Christ. A kind of a Jesus and me thinking. No need to be part of the church, say some. Well, Article 28 gives us some biblical reasoning for joining the church when it opens up. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be, but all and everyone are obliged to join it and unite with it. Now, there's quite a lot packed into those two sentences, and some of what is said there has caused some questions or confusion. So let's see if we can unpack it a little bit this afternoon. Notice first that Article 28 is speaking about the very same church as Article 27, namely the one holy Catholic or universal church. Article 28 makes that link very clear when it says, we believe since this holy assembly, which 
holy assembly? Well, that's the one referred to in the previous article, the Catholic Church. And I, I mention this because some have read this rather wrongly. They've read the Belgic to say, well, in 27, we're confessing the Catholic Church, and in 28, we're talking about the local church, two different things. And I say, wrong, because the confession is very clear and it's that it's speaking about the same entity, the Catholic Church. All the articles of, on the church in the Belgic continue to speak of this Catholic Church, the one Catholic Church, for according to the Bible, as we saw last time, the local church is the Catholic Church. Remember the, the whole Pacific Ocean analogy? One church, different locations all over the world. Nobody can oversee the whole thing, but it's one church. This also explains why our confession speaks about withdrawing from the church or failing to join the church. If one withdraws, that is, if one breaks away without any just cause from a, a faithful local church, he's withdrawing from the Catholic church even if that person is a true believer. A believer might indeed unlawfully withdraw from a faithful local church, but then that believer is a disobedient believer, now standing outside not just the local church, but the Catholic church. This is very clearly stated in the second last paragraph. It is the duty of all believers, according to the Word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. So you see, there can very well be believers outside the church. And they can be outside the church for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they don't know that they should be inside the church as members. Maybe there's ignorance. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's disobedience. Whatever the reason, the Good Shepherd places upon each one the duty to listen to His voice and join the one true flock wherever He is gathering it. And Article 29 in the Belgic will soon tell us from a scripture how to recognize where the true church can be found. We'll get to that next time, the Lord willing. It's for these reasons that I emphasized last time that the church is not invisible. Many have the idea that to become a Christian is the same thing as joining the church, but that is not the case. A Christian by him or herself is not part of the Catholic Church just because he or she's a believer. That person has to take action to join the church. Remember, the church is the assembly. So if, if a believer doesn't assemble, how can he be part of the assembly? That believer is, for that moment, outside the church. And that has to change. That's why there's this call to join the church. The fact that there can be true believers outside the church, and let's recall how Article 27 defines a believer as someone who expects their entire salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, you remember that understanding of true believer. That helps us understand this, this challenging phrase in Article 28, 
that there is no salvation outside of the assembly of the redeemed. When you first read that in Article 28, you get the impression that it's saying it's completely impossible to be saved if you're not a church member. But when you understand and recall that later in the same article, some believers are, are mentioned and described as, as people uh, who are outside the church, believers who expect their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we know it can't mean that. There are true believers outside the church that haven't yet been brought in. And this is sometimes where I think we get bothered or we get confused. We sometimes meet people outside the church who seem to sincerely confess Christ as Savior. Sometimes they don't attend any church. Sometimes they attend an assembly we haven't got a clue about. Sometimes they attend a church that we know does not listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. And yet they themselves, the individual, are personally so sincere and, and godly and, and Christian, we get, well, it's hard to know what to think about people like that. Well, the Belgic here helps us in its straightforward description of, of, of the church and the duty of believers. The one flock is in the process of being gathered. Right? We talked last week or last time about the, the dynamic nature of Christ's church gathering work. It's not a done deal yet. The sheep are the elect, and they are in various states of existence all throughout the world, and, and they need to be gathered in. There's this process that's unfolding even as we speak. So if you think of the people outside the church all over the world, you've got elect people who at this moment are total unbelievers. To them, we preach the gospel to all unbelievers, and we pray for their conversion. We don't know who the elect are among the unbelievers, but we, we preach to everybody. But then you also have elect people who already have true faith and yet haven't found their way into the one Catholic Church of Christ. Well, to them, we extend the urgent call to join it. Listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Come and join the flock. That's what we're doing here in Article 28. Article 28 is an appeal to those true believers of the day who were caught up still in the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of people didn't want to leave the Roman Catholic Church because they were afraid, afraid of what the authorities might do afraid they might lose their businesses because financial and economics depended on connections with the community. There were other believers in those days who had separated themselves and they didn't join a church anywhere. They just kept to themselves. They weren't part of the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, but they just kept to themselves. So the author of the Belgic, Guido de Bray, he knew of many true believers who for all kinds of reasons ignorance or fear or disillusionment, we might add church hurt, laziness, and you could think of more reasons. They were not yet at that moment inside the sheep pen of, of Christ, so he calls out to them, echoing Scripture as the Good Shepherd does, come into the fold. There has to be one flock. Come and assemble with the assembly. 
So brothers and sisters, if you meet somebody like that, a Christian out there somewhere, don't be so surprised at where they're at. How can there be Christians out, out here floating around or who knows where? Don't be so surprised, but don't leave them where they are. Love them as a believer. If you find in them a true believer, love them. Recognize they have a connection with Christ by way of true faith, if that's what you see. And so they have a place waiting for them in the flock. Right? They're believers who belong to Christ. They belong in the flock, so call them to come. Don't let them think it's okay to remain on their own. Don't let them think it's okay to remain in a church which is not faithfully following Scripture, not faithfully listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd, but rather stimulate and, and urge them to join you in the true worship of God inside the, the only assembly where salvation is offered according to God's Word, inside the, the faithful church, wherever that might be for that individual. For that's really the indispensable reality found in the church, in Christ's holy assembly. The reality is that's where you find the, the faithful preaching, the faithful voice of the shepherd concerning him and his salvation. Notice that Article 28 does not say, and there is no one saved outside of the church. It doesn't say that. It says there is no salvation outside of the church. That's a different ballgame. The confession is not speaking here of who is saved, but of where salvation is offered. And the answer is only in the church. Salvation is centered on Christ. It is based on the work of him as our substitute, dying for us on the cross, rising from the dead, and it is only the church whom the Lord Jesus has commanded to proclaim this. He hasn't given that command to anybody else. It's the church. Right? There's lots of gatherings of people, even, even good gatherings, lots of assemblies of one kind or the other, but no other assembly has been given this task except the church. No other assembly can be described as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. It's in the church that Christ dwells and makes His presence known. It's not in governments or in universities or academies or think tanks or rock concerts or even Christian business associations or Christian choir concerts, or Christian school assemblies. You've got assemblies, right? It's the word we use at Guido or Timothy or Bellstone. The students assemble maybe on Mondays or Fridays or other times. And those assemblies are beautiful things. They're, they're, they're times when Christian teaching goes on, but those assemblies are not the church. Christians gathered in a business meeting are doing Christian things, valuable kingdom work, but a meeting of Christian businessmen is not the church. 
Christ gathers his church together under the authority of his appointed elders and alongside his appointed deacons. He gathers the church together to worship, as we're doing now, through the preaching of his word, through the use of the sacraments. The worship service is, is the primary way that our Savior has given us to nurture our faith and to, to stimulate us and further nurture our holiness. It's in the worship service that He communes with us, His people, and that's the underlying reason why every believer must join the Catholic Church in its local manifestation. Membership is not optional, it's indispensable. It's not only disobedience to, to stay outside the church and, and not listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, but it's a snubbing of God's gifts. It's also very dangerous for our faith. It needs to be fed. Our faith needs to be exercised among fellow believers, and the number one place to do that is within the body of Christ. That's what comes out so beautifully in those visions we read in Isaiah. Isaiah's book. In each of those three passages, he's speaking about the future church gathering work of God. The church is pictured there using the Old Testament image of the Lord's temple on the mountain, Mount Zion. And we read there in chapter 2, verse 3, many people shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see that? Isaiah sees a vision of people coming, streaming. They're, they're gathering to the church and with the church. And Isaiah sees a vision of a, of a Catholic gathering. He says many peoples. In, in the day when he wrote that, there was only one nation, the Jews. But he's being given a, a picture that one day there's going to be many nations coming to Jerusalem, coming to the presence of God, gathering with God's people. And what will the many believers who come to God's church, what will they receive when they get there? The Lord himself says Isaiah will teach them his ways so that we may walk together in his paths. Is that not what we have in the faithful preaching in this congregation every Sunday? Who is it that will teach the people of Christ the way of Christ in all purity if it is not the faithful church. Who's going to do that? That's another reason why it's so critical to urge true believers we might meet in other places to, to leave the assembly where there is not faithful preaching, which does not teach the people the whole counsel of God in all its purity, for it's the faithful preaching of Christ that leads to faithful living for Christians, right? Crooked preaching or faithless preaching leads to problems or ungodly Christian living. So the church of Christ, brothers and sisters, it's a special thing. 
It's a special creation of His that is such a rich blessings for believers who do unite with it. And this blessing that we may enjoy, it comes with an incredible responsibility at the same time. Coming in is just the beginning. Becoming a member is just an, an act of obedience. It's a good thing. We come to church to worship God. We come to be instructed by Him, and that's wonderful. It's important for our life, our spiritual life, our spiritual relationship with God. But, you know, church life is not just about us. Church is not just about me getting my needs met. Article 28 brings out the other side of the coin when it says in the first paragraph, they must, that's believers, they must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. We confess here the additional duties of believers once we've joined the church. Now, the first part sounds easy, but maybe easier than it looks, particularly when we let sin live in our life. To submit to the church's instruction and discipline is to submit or sit beneath the preaching and then not only be a hearer of the Word, but to be a doer of the Word. That's what it means to submit. Anybody can listen. But are you doing? Are you responding in obedience to what God's Word teaches? In other words, when you walk out that door, brothers and sisters, after a service, the Word that you've heard, it needs to walk out with you. It needs to be seated in your heart. It needs to affect your thoughts. It needs to change the way you think and speak and act so that you are walking ever more closely with your God. Does it do that? Do you pray for that coming into church? Lord, change me, mold me, shape me. Do you want that going out from church? Brothers and sisters, set your expectations high. God is very busy with His church. He loves this assembly as He loves all the assemblies of His church over the world. God is here speaking to you and speaking to me. He wants to shape our life. He's intending to shape our life. Do we want Him to shape our life? Let's make that our prayer. I want to be and become more and more like my God. So, Lord, shape me. Change me by the preaching. That's also the attitude we need when a church member wants to speak with us about some kind of sin they've observed in our life that we have not repented from. Or if the elders want to meet with you to discuss something in your life which you know deep down isn't right with God. We're talking here about submitting to the discipline of the church, member to member or elders to members. Then our duty is not to, not to back away. Don't ghost them. 
so you don't respond to texts and emails and phone messages. Don't put up a wall of defense and come with all kinds of excuses as to why this and why that. No, a true believer submits in, in, in humility. You want to be, I want to be molded and I want to be sharpened and developed and corrected and even rebuked by the Word of God. Because my bottom line purpose in life is I want to honor my God by living a, a life that's shaped by His Word. So if there's something wrong in me, come and talk to me. Please, that's, that should be our attitude. That's what we're confessing here. We also confess something else. We have to bend our necks under the yoke of Christ. That comes from what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 11, that well-known couple of verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear, the, you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, come to me, right? It's like John 10, come to me. Come to me in faith, but also come to me as my sheep and gather with the rest of my flock. Those two commands are one and the same. The yoke that Jesus is speaking of and, and you probably know that a yoke was something that was put over a couple of animals that were pulling a cart, a wooden yoke to, to keep those animals together so a yoke could be burdensome for the animals. Jesus says, the yoke I've got for you is light. It's easy. What is the yoke of Jesus? What does that mean? Well, it's the Lord Jesus saying, take upon yourself all of my merits Take everything I've earned for you at no cost to you. Take them all free and enjoy all their benefits forever to the glory of my Father. That's my yoke. Don't try and earn your way into heaven. Don't try and save yourself with your good works. Don't try to enter heaven by, by somehow striving within yourself. Those are burdens. Those are yokes nobody can bear. But here in my church, I offer you the yoke which is light and easy. Come and take my yoke. And what does the Lord want from us in response? After he he, he pours out this grace upon grace to us. Does the Lord Jesus look for some kind of payback from us? What does God want from us? All He wants is for you and me to love Him with all our hearts. That's all. He already loves us with all of His heart. He's done everything to save us. What he wants is our love. Is that too much to ask? I was a stranger, Lord, and you took me in. So how can I keep myself from extending a hand of need to my brothers and sisters in this body of Christ? I once was naked and you clothed me, Lord. How then can I not offer my hospitality 
my helping hand to the hurting, especially among the people of God. I was an orphan and father, you, you took me into your family. How can I not hold dear all of my new siblings in Christ? How can I not love the church in which he unfolds his grace toward me and do whatever I can to help my family members, help them grow in God's grace so that together we may walk humbly on in faithfulness? That's the duty spoken of at the end of the first paragraph, that we use our talents to serve the edification of our fellow members. That just means the upbuilding, the, the strengthening, and the development of faith and godliness. What can I do to help you? I know the church isn't perfect. I'm in the church. And I'm a sinner, so I know it's not perfect. Can we start with that? If each of us starts with the recognition of our own sin, in humility, confessing our own sins, then we, we won't be so quick to condemn the sins of others in the church. We are a gathering of sinners en route to glory. But if this gathering is the one Catholic church of the Lord Jesus Christ on its way to becoming perf perfect by listening intently to the voice of the Good Shepherd, if that's what this gathering is, you know what? I'll be there. Wild horses couldn't keep me away. I'll be there, and I won't quit this church this true, faithful church. Rather, I will give it my all to see that she is blessed. Answer, or Article 28 picks up on the urgency of God's command to join the church when it says at the end, believers should do this, that's join the church, even though rulers and edicts of princes were against it, and death or physical punishment might follow. So here you have an example of civil disobedience. If the law said, don't join the church, the first thing we should do is join the church. That's what we're confessing. And you know, that's not an empty confession. For Guido de Bray, who wrote it, you know, he was on the run from these authorities for a number of years. He eventually got caught. He got put in jail. You know what happened to Guido de Bray when he was in jail for a while? They gave him a chance to recant. They said, Mr. Debray, you can, you can go free from prison. You can go back to your work, but you have to recant everything you wrote in this confession that you put together. And if you don't recant, you will be hung on the gallows. Guido Debray chose death instead of recanting a single word of this Belgic confession. He died a condemned prisoner of Rome, the false church, but all the time he knew he was a living member of the true church. And the moment he died, he went to be with the gathering, that cloud of witnesses above. He knew what it meant to make this confession with his own blood. That's how important all these things are. The reformers, they learn from the scriptures. 
that the church was the only place to be and it was worth giving up everything, even life itself, right? Martin Luther said it too, let goods and kindred go. You know the hymn? This mortal life also, let it go if you have to. Be prepared to be a martyr rather than give up the church. We read that call in Isaiah 52 where God through the prophet calls His people to come out of Babylon. It's in verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Babylon in that time represented the unbelieving world. You can think of the empire of Babylon in which Daniel and others were exiled. For a time they had captured God's people, but God was intent to bring them out from there. They were, Babylon was not to, to keep His people in her clutches forever. And that text from Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament to emphasize the call to all Christians to come out of the world because the world, the unbelieving world around us is Babylon today. Come out of this unbelieving world. Come out of whatever is impure. Come out of the rebelliousness around us to join the gathered flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be there in His sheep pen. Come out of her. And what a mighty and unstoppable gathering is being worked by the awesome power of God. We see that so beautifully in Isaiah 49 where desolate Israel... So uh, Israel that had basically no children because they were off in exile, all of a sudden this desolate Israel is, is pictured as being full with children again. And how does that happen? Well, verse 22 explains it. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, same as Isaiah 2, and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring, here it is, they shall bring your sons in their arms. And your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. The Lord God is going to raise a signal to the peoples, that's the Gentile nations, and they will come forth to Zion, to the church. And those people, when they come, they will bring the children to Israel you thought you'd never see again. Then Jew and Gentile will together be gathered around my throne on my holy mountain as my holy church. They'll even be led by the kings and queens of this world. Doesn't that just blow you away? Kings and queens. How many Egyptian pharaohs? How many Babylonian kings and Roman emperors and European monarchs and African lords and North American presidents and prime ministers won't be there on the last day because at some point God beckoned to them those rulers and they came a-running. That is our God, brothers and sisters. Power like it's indescribable. This power He's given to His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this shepherd of the church. So let us do what Christ does and love the church. Let's join in with all our talents and possessions and zeal to build up His church. And then let's get ready for the final act where our God will come and put the finishing touch 
on his church and glorify us with him forever. That's coming. Amen.